much of what was written was to bring comfort to them in their suffering. Moses wrote the Pentateuch for a people who had just escaped from 400 years of slavery. That's the first five books of the Bible written to a people just escaped four centuries of slavery. Joshua wrote to a people who had to watch their parents and grandparents die before entering the promised land. Judges, Ruth, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, the prophets, and many, many of the Psalms are filled with themes about God's faithfulness in the midst of suffering and hardship. And the New Testament was written for a new church made up mostly of people who had been conquered, ruled, and oppressed by foreign powers for a very, very long time. It wasn't until I went through some hardships of my own that I began to see this thread running through the Bible. Those who belong to God are not promised a life free from suffering. They're promised something else. First, we're promised that when we suffer, we will never be alone. And second, we're promised that God can and will redeem our suffering. And that second part, is what I want to talk about a little more today. That God can and will redeem our suffering if we let him. With that, let me tell you about Joseph. Joseph was 17 years old when we first meet him in Scripture. He was the youngest of 12 brothers. Born in his father Israel's old age, and he was his father's favorite. Jacob, who we've been speaking about, is called Israel by now. Joseph's, Joseph's father, Israel, showered favoritism on him. Now, sometimes a boy of 17 is a man, but Joseph was still very much a boy. Tattling on his brothers, believing, it seems, in his heart that his father's favoritism was somehow deserved. The stories we have of him suggest that he was good, and innocent, but that he really did seem to see himself as above his brothers. And so when they saw the opportunity, his brothers, who had come to hate him, plotted to kill him. So they attacked him and they threw him in a well. But when some merchants came by, they realized that instead of killing him, they could actually profit from him. So they sell him into slavery. And then Joseph was purchased by the captain of Pharaoh's guard named Potiphar. And God gave Joseph success in everything he did as Potiphar's slave. So much so that Potiphar put him in charge of his whole household. And it says he did not worry about things in his household while Joseph was in charge. But Potiphar's wife desired Joseph and tried repeatedly to get him to be with her. He refused and then one time she actually grabs hold of his cloak, and in his rush to get away, he leaves his cloak behind. When Potiphar comes home, his wife, humiliated and angry, tells him that Joseph had tried to force himself on her. Accuses Joseph of wrongdoing, and Potiphar throws him in prison. And it's here that we're picking up the story. Joseph certainly not perfect, certainly not perfect, but innocent, is betrayed and sold into slavery by his own family, 
And then despite his continued commitment to righteousness, he's betrayed again and taken from slavery to prison. Genesis chapter 39, verses 20 to 23. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So there's three things from Joseph's story that I want us to, I want us to draw out of it this morning. The first one is this. Joseph's suffering did not steal his faith from him. One of the things that happens often when we experience hardship is our experience of faith changes. Some people find hardship draws them closer to the Lord. For some, it's, it's fear that does that. For others, it's pain or sorrow. Some find that hardship really draws them close to the Lord. Praying comes easily. His presence is found quickly, and hardship brings them close. Others find the opposite. They find it harder to go to the Lord in the midst of hardship. They wonder where he is or why he's allowing them to go through it. And God seems to feel further and further away. It seems to me that what is so important is before hardship comes, for us to know and be ready to grab hold of the Lord more tightly than ever before when it's here. To know in the times that are good that one day things will be hard. And to decide now that when that time comes, we will cling to Him. Go to Him every time we are hurting, every time we are afraid, every time things are hard. And it seems that, that when people are ready in that way, when people have prepared themselves in that way, they find it easier to cling to Him because they're not surprised by the hardship because it's something that they prepared for in their hearts. It's easy, I think, when things are hard, when, when the things that you feel like God would give you don't come, when it seems like though everyone else goes through hardship of their health or loss, you never really think it's going to happen to you, and then it does. Whatever the case may be, it seems like the, the, it's easy to let yourself drift away, but the trick is to decide now, in your heart now, to remember frequently that hardship will come, and when it does, we need to cling to him. Joseph had certainly not earned what happened to him, and I think we can say without a doubt that he was very surprised by it, unaware of the animosity his brothers felt toward him, naively unaware, but unaware nonetheless. And in the surprise of it, somehow in the rest of the story, we see Joseph still cling to his faith, and that's the picture we should have. Not to be surprised, but when the hardship comes, to grab hold tightly to the Lord and not let go. So the first thing I want us to see is that Joseph's suffering does not steal his faith. The second thing is this. Joseph's suffering does not corrupt him. 
The really startling thing about Joseph through the stories we read about him in the Old Testament is despite all the bad that happens to him, and it's not over yet, he's about to do a kindness for someone and be forgotten about afterwards. And then he's going to be given a very difficult job to do that takes a long time and I think brings a lot, its own hardship. And then he's going to have to be faced with the family that sold him into slavery and find a way to forgive them. Joseph's hardship has already been great and it's still not done. And yet, all through the story, we see Joseph's desire to help those around him. Whether it's people that are suffering because of dreams they've had, whether it's a country, a nation, that has done terrible things to him, but he has the ability to help. His desire continually seems to be to help those around him when he can. He's been a slave or a prisoner all throughout his adult life. The scriptures say that he's 17 when his brothers sell him into slavery. And we know he's about 30 when he gets taken out of prison. So for 13 years, I'm sorry, when he's taken out of prison, he's sold into slavery, taken out of prison. He's about 30. So for 13 years, he's been a slave or a prisoner, almost half of his life. Yet still, his through the entire time, we see a man who desires to make the world around him better. He pursues excellence in Potiphar's house and in prison, and each time he comes across a person in distress that he can help, he does so. The truth of the world we live in is that we have an enemy. You and I have someone who desires to take our faith from us, who desires to kill us, but not just in our bodies, to kill us forever. He's real, and he's active, and he would love, he would love to be able to cause us suffering that would corrupt us, that would change us. Suffering, if we're not careful, can make us bitter. Have you ever met that person that's gone through hard times, and you just can tell that they haven't let it go, and they haven't healed, because the bitterness just comes off of them in waves? Or have you ever met that person whose struggles, whose suffering have made them think of themselves first and they're unwilling to do for other people because of what they've gone through? They feel entitled to always think of themselves first. Suffering can make us bitter. It can make us selfish. Suffering can also fill us with rage. Sometimes anger is appropriate. When a person has wronged you, sometimes anger is an appropriate response. Rage is something else, though. Rage isn't a realization that an injustice has happened with a desire to correct it. Rage is a desire to visit harm upon someone or something. Rage is not something that should live in the heart of a Christian. And suffering, if we allow it to, can cause us rage. Instead of letting himself be corrupted, instead of letting him, his, his goodness slip away, Joseph uses his gifts that God has given him, gives glory to God as he uses them, and he interprets dreams, he administers over a kingdom, he makes the world around him better over and over again. Maybe you're in the midst of suffering right now. 
Maybe things are hard right now. When we suffer, we tend to suffer either with grief, a sadness or a grief takes hold and it just does not let us go because of things that have happened to us that we have not healed from. Or maybe it's pain, whether it's illness causing a physical pain or you're going through an experience right now that's causing a deep emotional pain. Maybe you're suffering with pain right now. Or maybe you're afraid. You're afraid of something to come. You're sure it's going to be a bad thing. You're sure that hardship is coming and you just suffer with that fear. In the midst of the suffering, of course, I want to encourage you to turn it over to the Lord. If healing is what needs to happen, ask him for help. If peace is what needs to come, ask him for peace. But in the midst of your suffering, I want to encourage you to take care of yourself as you need to, but look for ways for God to use you. Don't assume that because you're going through hardship, you cannot be used by God. Because in my experience, when I watch people go through suffering well, they're able to bless those around them, either with, with words of faith and encouragement, sometimes as acts of service. And when they do, when a person who's suffering blesses those around them, you see something happen. It's a blessing not just to the person they're helping, it's a blessing to them as well. Serving others, caring for others, letting God use you can make your suffering easier to endure. So this is what we see from Joseph. He doesn't allow his suffering to corrupt him. He still turns his gifts and uses them, giving glory to God and caring for those around him. I would encourage you, if you're in the midst of it, to do the same. The third thing I want us to notice from the Joseph story is this. He holds on to his faith because he sees a time when God will redeem his suffering. He believes that there will come a time when God will redeem his suffering. We know from the rest of the story what happens through Joseph. We know that Joseph is the one who gets God's people to Egypt to help them survive a famine. We also know that Joseph is the one who sets the stage for the greatest story of deliverance in the Old Testament, the story that God's people would tell over and over again, a way of identifying themselves, of remembering the way that God has protected them. He gets God's people where they need to be for the exodus. God uses Joseph for a tremendous purpose in an incredible way. We see that even though Joseph goes through the hardship of slavery, and the hardship of prison, being innocent and not deserving either one, God takes those experiences and uses him where he's at to do good that affects the entire rest of salvation history. That's amazing. God's story isn't being undone or thwarted because Joseph is suffering. In fact, God uses his suffering in the story. And the thing I want to tell you is that God can redeem suffering for you as well. It may be that you'll never be, because of your, your experiences of suffering, put inside. My goodness. Can you feel the Spirit's presence here today? 
It may be that you'll never find yourself placed in, ch in charge of a country, overseeing the administration of food for millions of people. It may be that your suffering never opens an opportunity for you to have any kind of worldly advancement at all, but that's not the only way God can redeem it. I've seen God give opportunities to help encourage and counsel others going through the same thing someone has suffered. A loss can make you uniquely able to listen and encourage someone who's going through a loss. An illness can do the same. In the way that you're suffering, you can find yourself in a position, a unique position to bless those around you. But it's more than that, too. In suffering, I believe, and throughout the history of the church, over and over again, people have said and believed that the hardest of times present the richest of opportunities to draw near. We've said that some people draw near to the Lord in suffering and some people feel themselves pulled away. But for those who will choose to draw near to him, they find a closeness with him that they've never had before. Maybe you've experienced that yourself, his presence in powerful and unique ways because your awareness of your need for him is greater than it has ever been. We may know we need him and we may even feel we need him, but it is not often that we feel in the deepest core of our being a desperate need for the help and grace and mercy of the Lord like we do when we're enduring suffering. Closeness with him can come as a result of hardship. And then, of course, sometimes the redemption of our suffering does not come in this life. Maybe we draw near to him, but we do not find ourselves delivered until we go to be with him forever. But still that doesn't undo the promise that one day our suffering will be redeemed. Even if we're not healed on this side of heaven, even if we're not brought to a place where we understand why, or we see a good purpose in it, or we have the opportunity to use it to bless others, still we are promised that there will be an eternal glorification waiting for us that will be so magnificent that any suffering we've experienced on this side of heaven will seem like nothing in comparison. God will redeem our suffering if we let him. There's a passage I want to take you to in 1 Peter. It's 1 Peter 5, verses 6 to 11. You can listen or follow along if you'd like. 1 Peter 5, 6 to 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. In other words, don't let suffering steal your faith. Keep coming to God. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. In other words, don't let your suffering corrupt you. That's exactly what the enemy wants. And then he says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, 
firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. In other words, hold on and you'll see the time when God redeems your suffering. Now, it may be that what you're going through now, what you go through sometime in the future, it's something that you don't know how to go through. It's something that's too much, that you don't have the strength for, that you know it's more than you can handle. When I've had those moments, when I've had those moments where I just don't think that I can make it through what God seems to be asking me to make it through, I've had this thought come to me again and again, that I don't have to see the end of where I'm going and be able to get there on my own, because I'm not on my own. I'm following someone. And when we're following Jesus, we don't have to look in front of him to see where he's going to lead us and feel like we can make it on our own. That's not something he ever asks of us. What he asks of us is to take one more step following him, one step at a time. And he may lead you through a place that if he wasn't taking you through step by step, you would know you could never walk through on your own. He may lead you through something that's harder than you have the strength to endure. But you don't have to walk through it on your own. You don't have to get through it on your own strength. He, by the power of his spirit, provides that. All you have to do is follow behind Jesus one step at a time. And that's something that you can do. Because it's not by your strength you're doing it. You're following and you're with your Lord, whether you can see him or not. And you can follow him one step at a time. So my encouragement for you is to read the Joseph story and to read it and put yourself in the place of Joseph to see what it's like, to think through what it's like, to not be perfect, and then to experience hardship after hardship after hardship. Imagine, if you can, the way Joseph feels being sold into slavery by his family, being thrown into prison for no reason, and still having the strength, the faith to reach out and praise God, to give him glory when an opportunity to do good arises. And I want to encourage you to take that reading, that practice of reading the Joseph story, putting yourself in his place, and turn it on to your life. And be ready, if the hardship isn't here now, to be ready for it when it comes. To spring into action and grab hold tightly of the, to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to follow you all the way through this and I'm not letting you go. Or, if you're in the hardship right now and you feel like you've pulled away, you feel like you've not followed tightly behind, to realize that the only one who's pulling away is you. That the Lord is still there, arms open, happy to receive you, and to make the decision to grab hold tightly now, to make that change, and follow closely behind him through what you're going through, one step at a time.
to not let it take your faith from you, to not let it corrupt you, and to not let you lose hope that God will redeem what it is you're going through. Pray with me. Father God, we come before you thankful for blessings. We love you and we praise you. But we are reminded, Lord, of the time when your son said that your spirit was like the wind. We feel your presence here today. We thank you, Lord, that you will never leave us alone. That no matter what it is that we endure, we will never be without you. And though we cannot see you in the way we wish we could, and though we cannot speak with you in the way we wish we could, we know that you hear us, and Lord, you are with us. And by the power of your Spirit, Lord, we can grab hold tightly to you and walk step by step behind you through whatever hardship comes to us in this world. Protect us, Lord, from the evil one, Give us the strength to resist him when he calls. And Lord, fix our eyes on you. Whether in good times or bad, easy times or hard, that we may follow closely after our Lord and Savior, your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.